Welcome back to Sweet Script Stories. I'm Eric Grubaugh. And I'm Tim Dietrich. And this week we want to talk about things we wish we knew earlier in our careers. Uh, Tim, this was your idea, so I will let you kick it off. Okay, well this was inspired by something that I came across um, online. It's an article by Alex Licatos, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, titled Things I Wish I'd Learned Sooner After Being a Developer for 10 Years. And after reading his article and kind of gone through his list, a lot of it resonated with me. I could relate to it. As a matter of fact, I think almost everything he said would be on my list in some form. But I got curious as to what would be on Eric's list. And so, you know, uh, that's how we ended up here. So, um, so how does your list start? <laughs> So mine starts with, and I think it's very similar um, to what Alex had in his list, which is that I think realizing that soft skills and in particular communication is absolutely critical to your success as a, as a developer. As a matter of fact, I would argue that it doesn't matter what you're doing for a living. Uh, right. You know, communication is really the key to success in all parts of your life. Um, and yeah, I think Alex hits on this in his article, which is that the, the interesting thing about soft skills is that for as important as they are, they're not typically something I think we are taught in college or even as far back at high school. Um, and those are skills that are honestly, I think, difficult to teach. You know, you, right. you get them from experience and from working with different types of people and different companies, you know, the coworkers and clients that you end up dealing with, you start to hopefully get better at communicating. I know we all still struggle with it or do at times. Um, For sure. But I, you know, I guess what I'm really getting at here is I, it doesn't really matter, I think, how good you are at development. You can be the greatest developer. And, you know, in our case, like you could be like the most awesome sweet script developer that the world has ever seen. But if you're not a good communicator and um, you're going to have problems, you can be a good developer. You can be good at organizing your time and your resources. But if the communication isn't there you're going to have problems. Yeah, if you're a jerk to work with, nobody's going to want you on their team, no matter how good you are. Yeah, so I mean, uh, it's another soft skill, right? It's your your personality, your demeanor. Yeah, yeah I do think, uh, I definitely agree with you. They're called soft skills, but they are actually very important, <laughs> crucial. Uh, our education you know, training systems, especially in the technical world, are very much focused on the hard skills, I guess. <laughs> you know, the, the languages you learn and systems you work with and things like that. Um, but we don't get a lot of the social skills. <laughs> and that's why, maybe that's why a lot of us got into this in the first place, is... <laughs> We like computers more than people. I think that's a pretty common sentiment in our space. Um, but I definitely would have wish I would have learned and embraced earlier how important those those soft skills are. Um, 
They are harder to, I don't know, maybe they're harder to learn, but they are teachable and they are learnable. Um, yeah. And well, I, I just wish I would have invested more time in that earlier than in learning the next cool thing, you know, the next cool framework or language or pattern or whatever. Right. Yeah. And to your point about, you know, there's, I think this misconception that if you get into development, that you are somehow going to have a career where you don't have to interact with people. Yeah. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? It's, uh, you know, you, I don't know any developers who, I mean, I'm sure they're out there. Maybe they're working in a cave somewhere, <laughs> you know, electricity and a decent internet connection and they're completely <laughs> cut off from society. But I don't know. I doubt it. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't do this kind of work without interacting with people, especially I think in, in like with the NetSuite type work that we do, you know, it's all about learning how that company works, learning what a user needs, you know, what is it they're trying to accomplish? There's all that. So there's, there's just so much interactivity with other people that, again, I think you have to be really good at communicating with them. And to your point, just being easy to work with. Um, listening is probably a soft skill that, you know, <laughs> gets ignored quite a bit. Um, but, you know, getting back to what I said about being a good communicator, I think written communication in particular is something that, you know, you really need to be good at. And, um, I think it, out of all the different ways that we communicate with other people as a developer, that's probably the, the most important one because you're going to be sending a lot of emails. I would even argue that like right down to your comments and your code or, say that. yeah, I mean, it's like, if you're writing in like, like the digital equivalent of chicken scratch, <laughs> you know, your other developers are going to like, you're not going to make big friends with them if your comments are either not there. That's a whole other topic, the comments thing. But again, I think writing well, uh, being concise, you know, that sort of thing. Um, again, we could probably have an entire episode about just yeah. commenting code and stuff like that. But anyway, so I think wrapping up that first one, it's just, you know, the importance of soft skills isn't that something that I think is in, immediately apparent to you when you start off in your career. So there's number one. Do you want to take number two? Well, I, I guess I can, yeah, I can bounce. It's a nice transition to some of the things I wanted to talk about. Um, yeah. If I'm, if I'm picking uh, a team, right. If I'm hiring people, if I'm choosing a team or when I'm choosing clients uh, right now, I'm going to pick the listeners and the leaders and the learners before anyone else. And none of that has anything to do with technical skill. Um, they're just going to be the best people to work with. And so I want to spend my time surrounded by people I want to work with. And um, it just helps switch the f learning those soft skills helps kind of switch the focus from like me and what do I want to learn? What do I want to do to other people? Uh, who do I want to help? Um, who, who can I help? Who do I enjoy working with? That sort of thing. And when you switch your focus to that, that external focus, you get a lot more options. Um, your, your career kind of opens up in front of you, I think. 
Uh, so I wish I would have focused more on relationships than on the technical skills and just learned how to do that better earlier. I think a lot of paths would have been faster or smoother. Uh, some of them may have been, may have been longer, but overall, just focusing on relationships with others, uh, and learning those skills and how to making a habit of maintaining those good relationships and cutting off the bad ones faster, uh, would have, would have made the journey more enjoyable, I think at, at certain points. Um, yeah, especially I can, I can relate to that last part, you know, in other words, ending relationships that aren't good for you or good for the other person or company or whatever, you know, it's, yeah, that can be challenging. And, uh, but the sooner Most that you realize, are. yeah, I mean, cause you don't want to let anybody down. And, um, but I think the sooner you recognize that it's not a good fit, you know, whether it's a job or a client yeah, exactly. project or whatever. Yeah. Teammate. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's hard. It's very hard to do, especially, you know, you've got commitments that you've made or, or what have you, but or a paycheck. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's important. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, that's the sooner that you can recognize that it isn't a good fit, the better. It's just, I don't, there's no point in dragging it out, but sometimes you don't have a choice, I guess. Well, you, you always have a choice. It just may not be immediate. You may not be able to change everything immediately, but you can, as soon as you recognize that sort of stuff, you can start working towards making change, whatever that change might be, whether it's maybe learning, doing a little introspection of how is it, you know, why is the relationship bad? Uh, or learning some, again, soft skills to how can I deal with this a little better to, okay, I guess it's time to brush up my resume. Um, you know, you can you might not be able to snap your fingers and make change, but you can always start working. You do always have a choice. You're never stuck. In that article that I've referred to, you know, the, the inspiration for this, Alex uh, has a section in that article where he, it's called Vote With Your Feed, and he basically talks about yeah. that. Yep, and uh, so, yeah. And we'll link to that article, by the way. I don't know if I said it. We'll link to that in the, in yep. the episode notes. Okay, so the next one that I had on the list is kind of, I think, interesting. There was this thing about imposter syndrome that went around a few years ago, and every once in a while it resurfaces, and the general you know, take on it is that imposter syndrome is real. And I would agree with that. Yep. I would also add that so are imposters. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's the part that nobody ever really says. Um, I think we all do feel like imposters at times, you know, especially Definitely. when we're trying something new. Yes. Um, if you're in the process of repositioning or pivoting, you know, it can feel that way at times. And, you know, that again, that's been discussed a lot. But, but I think, again, the thing that isn't really discussed is that imposters are real too. And um, I, I remember the first time I came across one, I was just kind of shocked because it was clear to me that 
the person that was in the in their position they had been in it for a while i had it in my head that they were kind of an expert in what they did and sure. it became clear pretty quickly that they weren't which is okay because if they were in the process of kind of faking it till they made it it would be one thing but sometimes you come across these people and they're just faking it they don't have any real interest sure. in ever really making it other than just making money but right that was kind of a shocker to me i wish i had learned that earlier in my career because i think we look up to people and we idolize people and then we realize later that you know and you could, because they seem so out of reach right and, uh, never meet your heroes yeah that's exactly <laughs> a good way to sum it up um but i think you know the thing i would i learned from that is that you know you can learn from them but don't be one of them um, get better at what you do and grow and, and learn um so i guess my point is it's okay to fake it till you make it uh imposter syndrome is real and again so are imposters so yeah as long as you're actually working towards making it right yeah that's the key yeah, imposter syndrome is definitely, definitely real, especially like you said, when you're trying something new, I think, especially again in the technical space, we are, we focus so much on technical skill and mastery that we feel like we need to have all the answers all the time. And when you don't, the immediate tendency is, well, okay, well, who am I to do this? Or who am I to tell other people what to do or how to do it or, you know, give advice, things like that. Um, yeah. And that's just, that just shouldn't be the case. I think I mentioned it in a previous episode too. You don't have to have all the answers or know everything. Uh, one, because you can't, but two, to, to be considered an expert or to give good advice to someone expertise is relative. You, t you don't need to know everything. You just need to know more than the people you're advising. Right. Or the, you know, the, the work that you're doing. Um, but you'll never learn anything if, if you're not wrong once in a while. Yeah. I, I think one of my items on the list was that you don't have to know everything in terms of the technology. In our case, you don't have to know every you know, single thing about sweet script. Sure, you know, the more you know, the better off you're going to be. Um, but you learn as you go and as you grow. And right, you know, there are plenty of great resources resources out there. Um, you know that you can access when you need them, whether they're things online, you know, books, sites, and so on, or people. Um, you're never going to know it all. I, you know. I, Speaking of idols, I still look to you as my sweet script, uh, the sweet script god. <laughs> and I, I bet even you, there's got to be stuff that even you are just sort of like, it's a dark corner of sweet script that you haven't gone into yet because oh, you absolutely. either haven't needed, you know, you haven't needed to yet or, and you know that it's over there and one day you'll shine your flashlight in that area and then we'll, uh, you'll post about it. Like, hey, I finally looked at this module. Here's some cool stuff about it, you know, but. Yeah, yeah there will be a cookbook about it for sure. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. There are plenty of areas of NetSuite I've never touched. There are modules of SuiteScript that I've never touched. I, I 
I'm, you know, adjacently aware of all the modules, I think, <laughs> but I've never, there are certainly modules I've never used in production. There are a few modules I've only ever used in a, I wonder how this works. So I'm going to test it out. Um, yeah. And there are other modules I've literally never imported into a script, but mm. I don't feel like that disqualifies me from being able to give advice or help people. Uh, right. It's it's much more important to know how to learn than to know. Yeah. I don't I don't need to know all this stuff off the top of my head, but I do need to know how to learn. I need to know enough about myself to know how I learn most efficiently. And I need to know where to go. I need to be continually curious and seeking helpful resources, references, so that when I do come across something I don't know and I do need to know it, I know right where to look and how to go about incorporating that into my skill set. Yeah. That's a really good segue into the next one that I had, which is Great, in order perfect. to, <laughs> Just in like order we to stay sharp. You're right. Yeah, as if we coordinated it, which we really <laughs> didn't. Um, so what I had was that in order to kind of stay sharp, you're going to have to just be continually learning and exploring. And um, I think the best way to stay on top of things um, that are sweet script and that sweet related is, I think, to get involved in the community. And I always mention the NetSuite uh, professional Slack. It's not so much about going on there and asking a lot of questions because you can certainly do that. And you can also answer questions that people have if you think you can help them out. But for me, it's just, it's a way to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in mm -hmm. the NetSuite community in general, in SuiteScript in particular. And I find it fascinating to see what people are trying to do with SuiteScript. You know, they'll ask a question and you can kind of get a hint as to like what they're working on. Like, why are they asking about this, this module and this particular thing that they're trying to do? And mm -hmm. then it's, ah, I see. Um, and you learn from that. You learn from their questions. You learn from other people's answers. Um, so that, to me, is a is a big one. Um, and then there's a lot of other resources. We mentioned this earlier, but you know there are things like the Sweet Script. There's a a Reddit uh, for that. Yeah. Uh, which I think you mentioned that or in another episode. Yep. Um, you mentioned experimenting with modules that you've never used. I've done that before too. You know, like I wonder what this does. Like. And then I, like in my mind, I'm wondering, I wonder when I'll use this or how could I use it in the future? And there seems to be a weird sort of uh, thing that happens. Uh, you may have run into this too, but when you start to explore something like that, it may take a week or a month or a couple months, but at some point later on, it's like the opportunity to use that thing that you explored just magically presents itself. Yes. You know, I don't know how yes. that works, but it's it's kind of like magic. It does work. It happens all the time. And if you were never curious in the first place, um, you would never have known that was there, and you might have taken a much harder route to solve that same problem. Yeah. Um, that I, I think a lot of times we, we feel like Everything we do, every single thing that we learn, every second that we spend needs to be somehow individually profitable, 
or like a net gain all on its own, like in isolation. And that's just not true. <laughs> uh, for that reason right there, like you have no idea how someday you might apply the uh, internationalization module if you, if you go just learn it for no reason. <laughs> and it might not pay off that day or that week, but then, yeah, six months down the road when client or a user feature comes out that you need to deal with it, you'll, you'll remember, oh, hey, there's a thing I can use to do this for me. Um, yeah. And so don't be afraid to experiment and try something and fail or be wrong for the moment because you never know uh, in the future how that might pay off. Yeah, I had a very similar experience. Like I, I had one, for some reason at one point I explored the cache module because I was curious as to like what it did and how it worked. And, you know, sure enough, not too long after that, I actually had a use for it. I needed to optimize something and it was a great way to do it. And um, I don't think I would have even considered using that had I not kind of already explored it. I would right. have probably just left the script to you know, not be as efficient as it could be. But, you know, I think about over, you know, the period of time that that script's been in use now, the impact that just using that has had, because, you know, you're, you're freeing up resources, you're speeding things up for people, they're not waiting, that sort of thing. I don't want to get into the technical details of it, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was a little bit of a game changer for that particular, you know, function in that system. So, and I think getting back to what you were saying about not everything has to be profitable, it kind of goes back to, you know, if you're a contractor or, you know, a developer that's, and we'll talk about this later, but billing by the hour, not every minute that you spend working needs to be a, you know, a billable event, you know, so let yourself off the hook sometimes and spend right. a little bit of time, you know, experimenting. Yeah, it's really hard to, it's harder to do when, when it, when, uh, literally not being on the clock means not getting paid. Uh, yeah. But not all profit is measured in money. Um, I, yeah. I, have a, I have a story that's a little bit sweet script adjacent, I suppose, about this. I, in 2015, I think, um, I started hearing a lot about functional programming languages and I had never been exposed to any of them. All of my languages and learning up to that point had been class-oriented languages, Java, C++, .NET, that sort of thing. So I had, you know, I had PHP. I had learned a lot of languages, but they were all following that same class-oriented paradigm. And 2015 or so, I started hearing more about functional languages. I didn't know anything about them. So I found uh, a book on, a free book on Haskell, functional language. And with no agenda on how I would apply that to my job, because I was writing SweetScript at the time. I was a SweetScript developer, building a Sweet app at the time. And how am I going to apply Haskell? I, I don't know. I, I didn't plan on applying it. But I was very curious, and so I, I went through this book. And, and I've never written a line of Haskell since, uh, certainly not professionally. 
certainly never been paid for a line of Haskell. However, I don't think anything changed my programming skill or efficiency or productivity more than that than that book and just learning that this totally new way of thinking about common programming problems i don't think anything i've ever done or learned like just catapulted my skills and i had no idea going into that i wasn't i didn't know but ever since learning that my code shrunk it got cleaner easier to maintain and i have never looked back and i very rarely write for loops now because of it for instance um so i had no idea but it just catapulted my skills more than anything i've ever done i think that's pretty pretty interesting story i mean i i'll link to that I, book in the show notes by the way yeah that's i'd love to see like how that impacted you yeah pretty wild all right so you need me to go with the next one? I think so. Right. So this one I think is probably applies more to uh, developers that are either on their own or contracting or thinking about doing that. But it, I, I would also argue that I think this applies to SweetScript developers or should that are actually, you know, employees that are working for a company. And that is that you should start thinking about how you might want to specialize. Um, hmm. We could, and I, we've talked about this offline, we probably will spend an entire episode or more talking <laughs> about specialization. I think, you know, we could actually spend the, the entire, re in the rest of the life of this uh, podcast talking only about that. Uh, but some other people are already doing it and doing it quite well, which we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. Um, but my point is that I think the sooner that you can find an area of specialization and focus on it, uh, the easier things are going to be for you. You know, there are um, there are benefits to it that might not be apparent. It's probably not something that a lot of developers who aren't out on their own even think about. Um, but it's definitely something I think about all the time. Um, I know Eric. I know that you deal with that too. Sure. You know, it's the benefits to it are are enormous. Um, and again, we could spend an entire episode on it. I, I mentioned right. that there are some people already doing this: Jonathan Stark, Philip Morgan, um, and we're going to link to them in the notes. And I hope at some point we have an opportunity to have them on for an episode or multiple episodes. <laughs> um, what I think is. What's really interesting about this concept of specialization is that, Eric, you mentioned this to me offline at one point, and I think maybe in one of the previous episodes, that there's something that's potentially really powerful about being a sweet script developer who specializes in something like ARM, um, you know, advanced revenue management, and being a specialist in that. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, this week, there was a job posted to the Slack uh, team on the jobs channel <laughs> where they were somebody actually looking for that exact thing. And Once it, again, just the way I planned it. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe you're, you put it in there as a joke, but no, I mean, it is. It's a real job. And I was like, so if you're that guy and you're specializing, if you're that developer and you have that specialty, you know, you're a perfect fit for the job, you know, at least in terms of, of that part of it. There's a lot more to finding, you know, a job that's a perfect fit. But 
I would think that and somebody who's looking to hire a developer and they saw if they were looking for that set of skills and they saw that that's what you specialize in, you know, your resume is going to come right up to the top, you right. know, so I won't go on and on about this, but <laughs> I know you have ideas about it. And again, we'll have episodes about it, but what are, what are your sort of overall thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I think in the long term, specializing on something is the fast track, I guess, to uh, being a big fish in a small pond. Um, I think it's it's just a way to differentiate yourself and, and really stand out. However, I don't. I do think there's a lot of value, especially when you're just getting started, in getting really broad experience. Not from the, once again, not from the sense of you need to have all the answers and you need to learn everything, but from the sense of learning about what you enjoy doing and the types of people you enjoy working with and the types of problems you like to solve, the types of transformations you enjoy helping people make. Um, once again, lots of use of people in there. That... That's maybe one of the biggest advantages of working for, you know, a NetSuite consulting partner early on was that you get to see all these different companies and widely different uses of NetSuite, different areas of NetSuite. And again, not from the sense of needing to know everything, but just seeing what types of problems are out there, which ones I can help with and, and what types of people I love to, to help. And once you know that, then you can start to specialize in on that and focus in on it. Um, there's a real fear, I think, in general about specializing. And you think it's going to narrow, you know, if I, if I specialize, I'm, I'm going to have less, you know, I'm going to have less opportunities. And that could not be farther from the truth. Um, because once you start to specialize, you immediately start to stand out from the crowd. If you're just, I, I think I mentioned this before in previous episode, but if you're just, if you're a, just a NetSuite developer, I should, I should, I don't mean just a NetSuite developer, but if you sub describe yourself as NetSuite developer, you are now competing against everyone else in the world who calls themselves a NetSuite developer. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of competition. And it's really hard to stand out. They're, people are just going to basically look for all NetSuite developers and sort by price or you know, low to high and pick that one if they can't differentiate you in any other way. So find some skills or some problem sets or some people you really enjoy helping, some transformations you enjoy making, and start to specialize. And immediately you will rise to the top of that smaller but still deep uh, pond. Yeah, I think you had a really good point in there. Uh, well, a lot of them really, but the one about, you know, if you're just getting started in your career, yeah, getting that broad experience is important. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, just being aware and looking for things that kind of light you up inside a little bit, you know, things that you that excite you more than others when it comes to the work you do. That's where I guess that's kind of where I think 
those are your potential areas of specialization, you know, things that interest you, that fit your, your skills and your background and so on. Um, it's probably not something you're going to do early in your career, but I think being aware of the fact that getting to a point where you can specialize in something is just extremely important. Um, right. So you could, I, I mean, you could do it early if you're just one of those people who's lucky enough to just know and know yourself super well and just, you, you know what you want to do, right? You know who you want to help, how you want to help them. Cause some people just know that from early, early on and they have a little head start, but that's okay. There's plenty of room in this space for all of us. Right. All right. You want to take the next one? Um, I think I really quickly, I just thought I thought of something after my, my functional story that I want to put a finer point on. My point with that story is not go learn functional languages. My point is to be curious and open open up to learning more paradigms, more ways of solving similar common problems. So, you know, learn more approaches, not just more languages. Because you you never know how your your own experience, your own background will will influence that knowledge and then you'll always bring something back to incorporate into whatever it is you continue doing. Um, so for me, I'm, I think the reason that the, the functional language stuff um, kind of launched my skills so much was because that my, my brain is very well ordered for mathematical things, um, but not for like artsy things or music, singing, dancing, things like that. But it's very well ordered for language and math. And that's what functional languages do. They approach programming from a math perspective. And it just aligned super well with the way my brain is ordered, which allowed me to bring it back into my SweetScript work. And so you never know what you learn uh, just be open to more ways of solving problems. Don't find one way. Don't, or I should say, don't find the first way and settle on it. Find a bunch of ways and pick the best one. Had you not picked up that book out of curiosity or decided to learn Haskell, you would never, or potentially never have been exposed to that way of thinking. You right. might not have ever, it might not have even crossed your mind. You would have just right. happily continued writing sweet script the way that you always have and would have, would have been okay, but now you're that much better at it. Right. And probably enjoy it more. I would think it sounds like that was a, just a huge, like a paradigm shift for you in terms of how you approach sweet script. Yeah. That was a, it was a massive pivot in my, just my mindset. Yeah. And yeah, I never would have known that. Um, and 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 to be even more clear, I don't know Haskell now. I couldn't I couldn't write Haskell. I just went through this one, you know, introductory book. I would never look for a Haskell job um, right now, but it shifted my my way of thinking. It exposed me to new way of solving problems enough that I was then able to apply to my SweetScript work. 
I, I, there's no way I could have known that beforehand. Right. So it wasn't at all about learning the language. It was about learning new ways to solve old problems. That's, I love that. I think that's pretty cool. I think, you know, I would also add on to that, that the more languages that you're exposed to throughout your career, the better. You're going to find some that, you know, you just dread. <laughs> God, I hope I never have to work with that language. So you mm -hmm. might find some that are really just interesting and fun to work with, but maybe not practical. But I think all of that experience has benefits for you in your day-to-day -day work. So... It can never hurt to just learn a new language, you know. So. Yeah, especially the and the weirder, the better. The more different from the way you normally do things, the better. So if you're used to writing classes and interfaces or or something like that, go learn a functional language. If you're used yeah. to writing functional code, go learn a, a class-oriented language. Uh, learn. Yeah crazy stuff and we say learn we don't again i don't mean like full complete professional fluency just get exposure to those sorts of things and maybe it's not even a programming language <laughs> you never know you know just be have a habit of curiosity i think and don't be afraid to explore that curiosity because you never know what you'll bring back it's interesting that you brought all that up because I'm just thinking back to, to my days in college and one of my favorite classes that I ever took was survey of programming languages. And uh, oh, yeah. I don't even remember what the full list of classes that are uh, languages that we were taught in that class. And again, it wasn't so much teaching you the language, but just exposing you to it and its style and why one language is better at something than another. Uh, I remember Lisp being in there and um, parentheses. Yeah, I don't remember if COBOL was in there, but I, I had a course on that too. But uh, yeah, it, you know, it's just, it's really interesting to see that. And I, I don't remember exactly like what those, like the impact that each of those languages had on me, but it's just nice to know that there are other ways of solving problems, mm -hmm. um, you know, with different programming languages. So, all right. So the next one that I have is, I'm going to paraphrase Derek Sivers. I don't, I don't know if you know who he is. I do. Um, yeah, I suspect a lot of people do. If not, I'll link to him. Um, he has a book that is something along the lines of hell yeah or hell no. And that's essentially what I, what, what my thing I wish I had learned earlier was that it's, if it isn't a hell yeah, it should be a hell no. Um, or and, just a polite no is also fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. But in your mind, it should be, you know, either you're really excited about it or just don't, don't do it. You know, don't. And that's, I guess, uh, really the point of it is if something doesn't really excite you and you don't absolutely have to do it, maybe pass on it. You know, like uh, the, 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 no sooner do you say yes to something that you're really not particularly interested in than you know, you commit to doing this thing that you're kind of, you know, reluctantly doing. I swear, you know, the next day, if not sooner, some awesome opportunity will come along that you wish you could say yes to, but now you can't. There's opportunity cost. And um, right. so I think the way to kind of solve that is 
to get really clear about your goals and what it is you're hoping to do or trying to accomplish, the more clear you are on that, the easier it is to identify something that comes your way, an opportunity, and whether or not it is a good one for you or not. Or just a distraction. Yeah. Yeah. And if it isn't in alignment with your goals, I think it it is easier to just immediately say, you know, sorry, but no, it's, it's not a good fit for me. Um, so I think, you know, that's the side benefit of being really, really clear about what you're trying to do. And also it kind of loops back to that, you know, if you're specializing in something, um, you know, if you're specializing in sweet script and, you know, uh, warehouse management functions of NetSuite or something like right. that. And now if somebody comes to you with an opportunity to, you know, work on something that maybe NetSuite related, maybe not, it's going to be a lot easier for you to say, yeah, you know, that's not for me, Re regardless of the money. Although I guess everybody's got a price, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's just, I, I think that, that being able to, to identify that is really critical and saying no is okay. Like you said, politely, but yeah, learn to say no is a really good way to just sort of sum that whole thing up. Yes, learn to say no politely, uh, or pivot the no. Learn to you know learn those soft skills to pivot the no into uh, a relationship that you know, maybe I can't do this for you. Hey, here's two or three people I know who can, and stay in touch and see maybe there are some other problems that, that you can help them solve. Um, yeah, I think it ties very well into specialization. I think it's once you start, once you've identified the thing or the things that you love doing, you can start to build your dream job. Whether you are working for yourself, working for someone else, you can start, once you know what you really want to do, it may take a long time to know that, but once you know, you can start working towards it and crafting your dream job. And every single time you say yes to something that's not quite on the right path, you're going to, you know, it's a distraction. It might take you off that path for too long and you might miss something that would have launched you forward on that path. That's not to say everything that's a distraction is bad, Linking back to what we've been talking about, uh, learning Haskell was probably at the time a distraction for me from some like project I was working on that I didn't want to do or something like that. But it still, you know, launched me forward. So it's it's hard to know. I guess it's hard to know what's a distraction and what's what's a good opportunity sometimes. But the more you know about yourself and what you want to do, what you love to do the more likely you're going to enjoy that ride. So that I think is a really good segue into the next one that I had, which is um, time is one of your greatest resources. I think you discover that pretty quickly, especially when you're working for yourself. But attention is another great resource that you have and it just, spending time on something but not giving it your attention is not only wasteful but ineffective um, and by that i guess what i'm getting at is that 
you, you've got to learn how to shut off distractions, uh, carve out times of the day or even entire days of the week uh, for what uh, Cal Newport, who I'll link to his work in the episode notes. Our notes on this episode are going to be a mile long, but uh, <laughs> he calls that deep work, you know, where you're able to really just laser focus on something, shut off the outside world. It's easier said than done sometimes, but, um, you know, you, you get into a groove, you get into the flow. Um, flow yes. I, I, I know that you did that this week. I remember you coming up for air at one point and you sent me a message and you were like, you know, I just had this really productive. <laughs> and I did the same thing. I had like a half a day one day this week, a couple of hours where I was only writing code. The rest of the world was just oblivious. Like I was, <laughs> you know, it was completely shut off from me. Um, and that's really, really important. Um, one way to make that happen is to schedule time on your calendar uh, and that is just non-negotiable like this is the time i'm doing this thing whether it's yeah. working on a client project working on a blog post or you know whatever but um and, and a, another tip i would add there too is when you put that thing on the calendar almost treat yourself as if you're a really really important client you know like this is your most important client and you're going to this three hours, three hour block is the time you're doing critically important work for them, even though it's you. Um, so yeah. I know you've got thoughts on that. I know you've got big <laughs> plans for the entire month of December, right? <laughs> Something along those lines. We can talk about those in December. Uh, yeah. I, I would argue that you are always your most important client. This is your life, and just because someone gave you some money does not entitle them to that life or your enjoyment, your happiness, your soul, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to... The calendar is really important. Um, learning, again, what you enjoy, what you want to specialize in. I wish I would have made a habit out of that sort of thing. One, I wish I would have learned earlier how to form habits, uh, how to intentionally form habits. Uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, out outlines a good process for that, that. For me, at least, it's a good process. Uh, I wish I would have learned that earlier, how to first intentionally develop habits and then also how to be more self, uh, more introspective and, and curious about myself and not just curious about the things that my professor was teaching me or that my uh, job requirements uh, were pushing me towards. I wish I would have made a habit earlier of, of self-reflection and, and treated myself as my most important client earlier. Yep. So the next one that I have really, I think, ties back to a bunch of things that you've said, um, which is really simple. It's just that money isn't everything. Uh, you know, we talked about not every minute that you're doing something needs to be something that an, an billable event like i think i referred to it earlier 
Um, billable event, yeah. And that the things that we work on, that you know, whether it's a passion project or something that you're exploring, you know, there's value in it that isn't necessarily uh, immediately apparent in terms of, you know, financial impact on you. Um, also, some of the, my best years, um, you know, being in business for myself, you know, where the, where, you know, they were great in terms of income were some of the worst years of my life in terms of my quality of life. Um, it, it can't always be just about making a ton of money, right? Um, you've got to enjoy the ride as, as best you can, whenever you can, um, you know, take a walk, <laughs> take a day off, uh, wrap up your day early, take a breath. <laughs> um, you got to, I guess this one is really a combination of things, but you know, you've got to take care of yourself and yeah, we're in this to make money, but I think um, for a lot of us, there's more to it than that. You know, people say often that if they were getting paid to do the work that they do, you know, when you love it, you would, you find a way to do it anyway. It would be your hobby. And I, you know, um, so what are your thoughts on all that? I have a lot. I, I agree with you. I think if you're, it's it's so hard when you're when you're, again a billable resource, especially if you're working for someone else, and not yourself. Uh, it's really 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 hard to to come up for air like that, and especially if you're still in the space where you're trying to pay the mortgage check to check. Um, I don't know how true that is, uh, you know, widely in our space, but it's still there. And that makes it, you know, if your basic needs aren't being met or are just barely being met, that's, it makes it a lot harder to stop and smell the roses <laughs> every once in a while. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it can't be all about money. It can't be all about the billable hour. Uh, if, if it is, if that's your only motivation, if that's your only purpose, that is a surefire way to, to burn out very quickly. Yeah. And if you do that, if you, if you go off in your cave and you write all the code and bill all the hours, and then, especially if you're working for someone else, uh, that job goes away, say there's i don't know a global pandemic or something and that job disappears is completely out of your control you haven't built any relationships because you've spent your all your time in a dark cave writing code and now you have nothing to start from except maybe a piece of paper with your job history on it mm -hmm. also you're exhausted <laughs> yep been there done that too many times. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't go into the, the myth of job security at, at a, you know, working for someone else. The myth of the stable paycheck. Right. Yeah. I think that is another one, like potential whole episode of it on its own. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's actually a good one that I didn't have in my list. You know, you do, I think, you do start off thinking that 
the only way to really, um, you know, make it as a professional developer or any IT career really, um, you know, is to uh, sort of follow, and, and this is a good segue in the, I'm jumping ahead of, of where I was going to go, but, you know, is to kind of follow the standard career path to success or climb some corporate ladder. Um, but that's not the case, you know, if that's not your thing, if you're not, if you're not wanting to go from being a junior developer to a senior developer to, I don't know, a manager, you know, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this. We don't want to manage people. Um, I think we both are in that same boat. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I worked at a larger company, you know, after doing this for so long, I, it would be difficult to not be as, you know, kind of almost pushed into a position where you're, you're managing people. Right. Um, same goes for kind of working for yourself. You don't necessarily have to build a company or build a team. Um, if you want to work for yourself, you know, as a solopreneur, um, that's okay. I think you and I are both doing that. We're kind of forging our own paths here. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that are out there that are, and not just necessarily in the NetSuite space, but solopreneurs that are doing the work they love for clients that they love. They're enjoying life and making good money at it. And I'm not trying to make it sound like it's this blissful, you know, completely stress-free life. Um, right. Cause there's always that, um, but you can do it. And uh, if, if I can do it, I know there's plenty of people out there smarter than me that can do it too. Again, I'm not trying to say I'm living this, living the high life here or anything. I've, Plenty of stressful days, <laughs> um, sleepless nights, but all in all, I wouldn't trade doing it this way for anything else. So I'll sum that one up as it's okay to, to kind of go against the norm in terms of your career. You know? so. Yeah, there are lots of paths to success, and I think it goes back to being introspective. Uh, you can you can have a wildly yeah. successful career working for someone else and and love you know most minutes of it <laughs> nobody no matter what solo employee whatever is is going to love every single minute of of work but the more you know about yourself and where you're comfortable and and what you love to do and the more you align your day-to-day -day work and life with that the better it's going to be for everyone involved. Yeah. So the one that I skipped is a lesson that I wish I had learned earlier, but honestly, it's a, a lesson I still want to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and it is that the sooner that you stop trading time for money, the better, which kind of goes back to the money thing. Uh, goes back to the, you know, work the way you want to work type situation. Um, so again, it's the sooner that you stop trading time for money, the better. And I, I joked earlier, I sent you a message in Slack where I said, you know, said the dude who still bills by the hour, right. uh, which is me. So, <laughs> and again, this is also one of those topics that we could go on and on about. Um, yeah, There are experts on this, but I'm really alluding to is billing uh, based on the value that you provide versus the hours that you put in, billing based on results versus time. 
spent getting the results. Um, this is one that probably only applies to people who are out on their own, whether they're a contractor or you know, have their own firm. Not so much, uh, obviously, to people who are employees, although I think there are some cases where people have been able to pull that off. Um, I can't imagine how you do it, but, but people have. Uh, I know that you have opinions on this, on the value pricing. Um, I do too. I've done it before um, and I've had challenges with it. I've waffled back and forth between billing by the hour, billing by the project, uh, value-based pricing. And for a lot of people that are listening out there, they probably have no idea what we're talking about. But <laughs> We'll link to some things. That's fine. Yeah, we'll link to some things. And again, I hope we can bring it up at some point. I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on it without it being like, without putting you on the spot and, you know, forcing you to immediately become an expert in it. But I know that you've thought about it before. I think you've probably even tried it or you're doing value-based pricing. What are your thoughts on it just generally? Don't go by the hour. Um <laughs> There are lots. It goes back to, it links back to learning more paradigms. There are different ways to, to solve the billing and pricing problem than just trading time for money. There are other approaches that are highly successful. Uh, you just have to shift your mindset a little bit, learn, learn a little bit, be open to other ideas. Um, yeah, I, I could talk for too many episodes about this that no one would want to listen to. Um, I don't bill anything I do by the hour. Um, my development projects are fixed price, come with a guarantee. My advisory projects are fixed price, come with a guarantee. Uh, all my projects are basically like that. Everything I do has a fixed fee associated with it and a guarantee backing it up. Um, it's hard to do. It's definitely, it's, I think like I mentioned earlier, it's really hard to do when you are not differentiated in any, in any way, whether, whether you're an employee or a firm, you can look, you can also look at this from the perspective of a partner. If, if you are a NetSuite developer who solves smart or solves tough problems for smart people, um, Google search that and see how many results you get is a lot. So if you're not differentiated in any way, guess what? Your clients are going to sort by price and pick the lowest. Unless you have some other differentiator, like, say, a trusting relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Getting back to soft skills. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little more abstract for employees who have no control over this. And this makes it even worse when you're being billed by the hour as an employee. Uh, I remember working for a when I was working for consulting partners, I was, I was being paid with a salary, but I was being, you know, measured my performance, my annual performance review utilization was always such a huge, the only metric. That's the only way you were measured was on yeah. how billable were you to a client, but guess what? I didn't get to decide what was billable. So it was 100% out of my control. It's just a wild, wild approach. It doesn't make any sense when you start to, if you actually stop and think about it and pick it apart, it makes less and less sense the longer you do it. So, yeah. you know, 
yeah, I don't know everything about SweetScript, especially as, you know, a low-level employee at one point. Uh, I didn't know everything. And I sometimes, yeah, I had to spend time learning on behalf of my client. Why isn't that billable to them? Uh, it's it just... I, I can't stand that being out of my control. Whether I'm <laughs> Whether I'm the one running the business or I'm the one who someone else is deciding what what my time is worth i do i don't give up that control i decide what my time is worth yeah so i know we keep bringing up jonathan stark and he has a, a pretty awesome book about this um, hourly billing is nuts i think is the title and we'll link yep. to that in the episode notes but um it, it is intriguing I know that it, it does work because I've done it before. Right. I know that I sound crazy saying that because I don't do it right now. Um, but it's definitely something that is on my radar to kind of yeah. get back to. And um, it's inspiring to hear that you are doing it and why. Um, and I do hope that people who are listening to this podcast that are on their own, who do have a way to control how they bill for the work they do. Well, if they're not already familiar with this, we'll look into it. It's just as important as the specialization. They really do go hand in hand. Yeah, they definitely, uh, the more differentiated and specialized you are, the easier it is to command uh, higher fees. I almost said mm -hmm. higher rates and immediately realized the mistake I was making. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, there's another book too called how to uh on my bookshelf how to price anything or uh how to value anything i forget what it's called i'll link to it in the show notes um also a wonderful book on how to value uh more abstract types of work or, or more abstract outcomes uh, i think that's the really the key of value-based pricing is trying to make concrete something abstract so mm -hmm. uh, and you you can absolutely do that yeah. you know it's I, the the one advantage that billing for time has is it's very easy and it's very ingrained in all our systems right but it also gets you stuck on a hamster wheel where you have to work more to make more and then you have to work more to make more and then work more to make more or raise your rates, which again, if you're not differentiated anyway, has an artificial limit on it. You can't, you can't suddenly say, you know what? I'm really, really good at this. So I'm going to charge 750 bucks an hour. Um, good luck. Yeah. You know, if you're successful at it, amazing. <laughs> Keep doing that. <laughs> but I, I think you'll have a hard time. Yeah. What I will say is if you are billing by the hour and you are wildly successful and making a great living and loving it, then keep doing it. But if you will feel like you're stuck on a hamster wheel or you have to keep working more or you're a firm and you feel like every time you start making more money by getting more projects, you have to hire a bunch more people 
which jacks up your costs, which means you have to work more and get more projects to make more, to then hire more people. Uh, you can see where I'm going. They're just infinite mm -hmm. hamster wheels. Um, yeah. And you can break that cycle by changing your pricing model. Well, I think you summed it up pretty well. And I think people that, again, aren't familiar with this whole uh, approach to how you bill for your services, um, it's a good sort of primer for what, what we're going to link to in the notes. And again, I encourage people to check it out. Um, I remember the first time I heard about it, it was kind of intriguing, you know, it's right. like, oh, sounds good, but I doubt anybody could actually do it. And then you actually start to hear about people that are doing it like yourself. And again, I had, I've done it before as well. And um, it changes your uh, relationship with the client mm -hmm. and with your work in ways that are very difficult to describe, especially on this episode. But it had a lot of unexpected uh, positive impacts on, on me at the time that I was doing it. So again, I think maybe this is like a topic for another episode too, but um, yeah, it's just, it's a really interesting thing and it's not something I think most people think about, you know, we're just so used to billing by the hour, getting paid by the hour, how many hours a week we work, whether you're an employee or not. And that all, just the fact that that kind of goes away is, is weird. Um, it just, it, I remember when it I was can doing go it, away, yes. yeah, it, right. It's just, it's really, a, it's a really interesting thing. So I'm glad that we had a chance to bring it up on here. I'm glad I learned about it, you know, in my career, that is definitely something I wish I had learned about earlier. And more importantly, I wish I was doing it and had been doing it earlier in my career. I'm going to try really hard to make that shift again you know, sometime soon, definitely in the new year. So, right. So that, Do that's it. it. That's, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give it a shot. Um, that's everything I had on my list. Do you, I think you have a few more, right? Or do you? No, I think, I think we can start to, I think we can wrap up by just kind of going back through the, the high bullet points of the list. Um, okay. We can just go through each of our lists and I'm happy to start. So I, wish I would have learned more, invested more in soft skills than technical skills early on. I should say, I wish I would have brought those more in balance, right? And, and equally invested in both, in developing both sides of, of my career skills. I wish I would have learned more paradigms, more diff, more varying away, <laughs> varying ways to solve problems than just more languages of the same type. And I wish I would have learned to be more, learned how to develop habits and how to be more curious and introspective, uh, curious about myself rather than, so the things that I enjoyed rather than the things that I needed. I wish I would have learned, known how to learn more about those and focused more on those earlier. Okay. That's your full list? That's my full list. Those are the big okay. ones. So mine were, again, the same at the top, 
soft skills. I wish I'd known how important they were going to be um, earlier on, and that communication is absolutely critical. I, again, I would, like I said earlier, I would say that's true of business as it is in any aspect of your life. Um, the imposter syndrome thing being a real thing, and that so are imposters. Um, discovering that was eye-opening, shocking. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to know everything uh, as far as technology goes, um, uh, but the more you know, the better. Uh, so you know, don't worry if you don't know everything about SweetScript in particular. Um, mm -hmm. Just make it happen. Uh, you're going to constantly gonna need to be learning. I think that was a shocker for me. You know, I came out of college thinking I knew everything I needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I can laugh at that now. Turns um, out I knew nothing I needed to know. That is absolutely right. Yeah, I had hints of things I was going to need to know and maybe a way to learn the things that I would need to learn, but I didn't know them at the time. And that's true just as much then as it is today. Uh, every day I'm learning something new, and I think that's one of the reasons I love this work. Um, uh, the importance of specialization was something I wish I'd learned earlier. Um, the uh, hell yeah or hell no thing, uh, you know, the sooner you know what it is you're trying to accomplish and what kind of work you really want to be doing, the sooner that you're going to be able to start saying no, um, you know, politely or not. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be easier for you to recognize opportunities that are more in alignment with what you're trying to do. Uh, the time and attention thing, where it's one thing to give your time to something that you're working on it's another thing to give your attention to it find a way to avoid the distractions and get the, the deep work done as cal newport calls it uh, money isn't everything it can lead to uh, good things uh, but it can also lead to misery if that becomes your main pursuit in business and in life in general uh, the sooner you stop trading time for money the better um, that's a lesson I'm still trying to learn. <laughs> I'll get there. And uh, the one that I had kind of out of order that I had said was um, that you don't have to follow the traditional career path to success uh, or climb a corporate ladder if that's not your thing. There are plenty of ways to get to uh, a place of, uh, that you could describe as being successful without doing the sort of normal thing. It's okay to work for yourself. It's okay to not build a business, you know, uh, go on and on about that one, but I think that sums it up. And I think that's it. Um, All right. I didn't ask you this earlier. Do you uh, have a cool thing? If you don't, I have one for you. you have, okay, well, now I'm curious. <laughs> what do you have <laughs> for me? Okay, so this week you released, uh, I think, initially three new of the SweetScript cookbooks, but I think yeah. you then slipped a fourth one in. And I re-released be... an old thing I did as a cookbook, yes. So there are okay. four new cookbooks to buy. Yes. Yep, which we'll link to in the show notes. But that was one of the things I was going to say if you didn't bring it up. So there's that. I have another one, but do you have one? A cool thing that you recommend that people check out? No, I, I think some of the books and, and resources I mentioned throughout the show are probably gonna gonna do. I definitely recommend this, although the name is escaping me. It's how to how to value anything, price anything. Yeah. So I'll link to that. Okay. 
So the other one that I had was actually a, it's a podcast and a blog um, by uh, a gentleman named Bob Evans, and it's called Cloud Wars. Um, it's a really interesting, really informative um, source of what I've considered to be great content. It focuses on business technology, the digital economy, cloud services, uh, ERP systems, strategy. It's pretty awesome. Probably one of the most professional, uh, professionally done uh, sources of content that I've come across. And it's one of my favorite discoveries I've made this year. Again, we'll link to that in the notes. I encourage people to check it out and, you know, check out what Bob's doing there. It's He's got some really interesting people that he brings on, some really interesting uh, points of view. Uh, one of the things I saw recently that, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's really interesting was, uh, I think it was a podcast where he was talking about how Amazon should spin off um, AWS, you know, their cloud services into its own company. And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> that's, you know, it never occurred to me that, that, that they would do it. I'm not sure that they will, but um, I don't know, just kind of, I do a lot of work with AWS, so it would be really interesting to me to see what the impact of that would be. Yeah. So I All think right. that's going to do it. Great. All right. Well, come back next time for more Sweet Script stories. Bye-bye.